Today's sermon text is Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with the enemies in the gate. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Linda. How do you feel about talking today? Great. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I am so happy to be doing this. I want to start by giving a couple of words out of uh, Psalm 127 that Linda read. Um, Verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Those who build it, oh my gosh, I cannot sit here and do this. So uh, those uh, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, uh, and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. This is written by Solomon. And the context of this psalm is that it is one of the psalms of ascents. Ascents. Not a scent like that scent, but ascent as in going up. And this psalm was a book of hymns that were sung by worshiping Jews who would pilgrimage from all over the land of Israel and they would make their way up Mount Zion to worship at the temple. And interestingly, one of these songs written by Solomon, which sounds a lot like some of his other writings, proverbial writings, one of these psalms is about raising a family. One of the songs that they sang on the way to go to the temple to be in the presence of Yahweh and watch the priests carry out their duties, one of the songs that they would sing was about the construction of a God-centered family. I find that really interesting. As they're making their way toward Jerusalem, they're singing. And these words are coming out of their mouths. And they, talk, they start by talking about something that uh, Solomon writes about in another one of his books called Vanity. The wastefulness of doing things unless it's God-centered. And he says again, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Well, of course you need people to build a house. But if you build a house, you labor in vain unless the Lord is the centerpiece of that house. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Why does he use the the analogy or the imagery of a watchman? Well, it's not just imagery. He's talking about something that was real and legitimate. Back in these days, about 900 or 1,000 years before Jesus, Israel didn't always have a standing army. They didn't have defenses on their borders. They didn't have long-range missiles and radar. And so there was always a fear that foreign enemies would invade. And foreign enemies, the way that they would destroy a country, was they would go from house to house, kill people, do terrible things to the women and the children, and then they would burn the homes that they lived in to send a psychologically devastating message 
to that country. We are coming. Have fear. Have fear. He is saying that unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Probably the watchmen that Solomon has in mind here are the watchmen in small communities of houses, of families that would gather together, try to fortify themselves behind some sort of a mud wall, and they would always have watchmen on the walls looking out over their fields to see if there was any foreign incursion that was coming. And he says, unless you do that, trusting and depending on God, you're doing that in vain. Your family will not be protected if you don't watch with the Lord's eyes. With the Lord's eyes. Okay. But he also talks about attention here. Working hard. Resting well. He says it's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. It's in vain that you do that. It's vain that you get up to get a start on the day and beat the sun so that you can get going. And it's in vain that you go to bed late so you can work in some rest so you can do it all over again the next day. Your life and your destiny is in your own hands when you approach your life that way. Rather, you should be trusting in God, learning how to live well between the tension of good, hard, God-honoring work and also good rhythms of rest that the New Testament does not relieve us of. The New Testament did not abolish the Sabbath. The New Testament didn't say it's okay to stop resting now and take your life into your own hands and work seven days a week, 24-7. It doesn't say that. We still need to cultivate rhythms of rest in our life, which shows our dependence on God. This is all about depending on God as families. All about that. Okay, last couple of verses here. He says this, In that context, in the context of security, in the context of provision, in the context of a good family and a good home, he says these words beginning in verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, The fruit of the womb, a reward. And so what he's talking about here is is that we should be seeking God's blessing as we construct and build our families. What is the blessing that we should be looking for? Children. Children are a blessing from God. He didn't say eight children. He didn't say two children. He just said children. So that's between you and God. Children are a blessing from God. So we don't live... The blessing of God is not independence from children. One day we'll all be empty nesters. The blessing of God is children. Why? Especially in a day and age when people didn't treat children like we treat them today. You know, and we, we don't, we, they didn't do that back then. Children weren't cute. Children were sort of less than human back then. Why, why was the writer of, of the Psalms, one of the writers of the Psalms, trying to help his readers, his worshipers, understand that children are a blessing and they should be treated as human? Why? He goes on and teases that out in the, next, in the last two verses. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Why arrows? Because again, families had to defend themselves. Their children were the ones who stood with their parents to defend their families from foreign and pagan invaders. Children had to be loyal to the family. Children must, be, must love their families. Children were the defense of their families with their uncles and their aunts and their fathers and their mothers and all that. 
But this also speaks of our responsibility as parents to prepare our children for life as weapons, as weapons against things that are not of God, to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. But oftentimes when I've heard this text preached, we, we, we talk about how children are arrows and we as parents have a quiver full of them and we shoot them and launch them into their career. We launch them into college. We launch them into their own parenting. I don't think that's what the psalmist had in mind here. I don't think he envisioned the happy place being launching them out and they don't come back. He saw something else here. So let's read on. Verse 5. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. So he's still using the imagery of children being arrows. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with children. He shall, be no, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now the gate back in those days was the ancient court of law. Whenever someone had an issue uh, uh, legally with someone else, they would go before the elders of the city and they would meet at the gate of the city and that's where they would try people. That's where they would enter into litigation. Oftentimes at the gates is when older, more vulnerable people were taken advantage of by scoundrels. And he's saying one of the blessings of having children that you've raised in the knowledge of the Lord is that your children step up and stand in the gap for you and defend you so that you are not taken advantage of by thieves and criminals and unjust people. You see justice everywhere in the Bible, everywhere. That's not a concept that the Republicans or the Democrats made up. That is a concept that God made up in response to the sin of our culture, of our society. And so I want you to imagine something, that the only insurance that a parent had in those days was that they would receive from their children defense if they were ever dealt with unjustly. Children should protect their families from the enemies who would seek to rob their defenseless and aging parents through legal maneuvers that found ways around the law. So here's, here's the sweet spot, I think. To be launched as an arrow is less about college and career and more about maturing our children into lives of honor that are rooted in the fabric of family. Launching our children as arrows, not away from us so that we can be away from them and relieved of their presence. And yet not at, in our culture, not so they can stay at home and you know, play video games in our basements when they're 35 years old. That's not talking about that either. We're talking about something else. We're talking about our children maturing into lives of nobility, of respect, courage, people of conviction who stand against the spiritual powers of this evil world, children who become our best friends one day, who become our defenders, children who are loyal to the justice of our families. I want you to imagine a family that is made up of BFFs, best friends forever. That's what our goal is as a family. That's what our goal is, is the Bennetts. Now, they're not our friends now. <laughs> they're kids. They're kids. We love them. We're friendly with them. 
We love them more than, a, than I think a friendship in, in modern terms can define. But one day our goal is, is that when our kids are in their late teens and their 20s and their 30s, that they're going to be our closest friends. We long for that day. We long for that day. That it really informs pretty much everything that we do. And I, I just want to give a, a quick a qualification. You said you wanted to give a qualification. I'll let you do that since people are like, <laughs> want to hear you talk more than me. Well, I just want to say, first of all, in case you didn't already know this, we are not perfect parents, and we are still learning a lot ourselves. We've been married for... She's doing great, though. Keep praying for her. So. <laughs> We've been married for almost 20 years. Our oldest is about to be 16, and our next one is 14, and then 11, and then our baby is four. And we were talking about this earlier this week, and we said we've pretty much used and employed all of the things we're going to talk about today on the first three, and then Micah came along, and we're like, whatever. <laughs> we kind of threw the book out, out the window with Micah's him. Micah's our grandchild. Micah's our grandchild, as we say. The so rules, we're grandparents. Rules we have, we have our grandkids living with us and our kids. So. That's right. Yeah. Um, just wanted to say a couple things. So I know that it's really easy sometimes in our human nature whenever we read a book on parenting or we go to a parenting conference or we hear people teach on parenting, it's really easy in human nature to feel some sort of shame. We were just talking about this in our community group actually this past week and how it is so common for women in particular to feel a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. I hear that over and over again from working moms. I hear it from stay-at-home moms. I hear it from moms of kids with special needs. I hear it from single moms. I hear it from every mom, the feeling of shame and guilt, and I'm not doing it as well as so-and-so, and I don't do this like so-and-so, and I'm not doing enough, and, 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 and I just want to say, you know, one of the great things that we're learning about um, with our community group with going through the Voice of the Heart curriculum is about shame and how shame is not always a bad thing. Sometimes shame can help us to be a little bit introspective and go, why am I feeling like this? What is it that needs to change? And so I want to encourage you with that, especially you mamas. If you are feeling a sense of shame about anything in your home, you know what? Take that to the Lord and say, is there something? Is this a magnifying glass? Can I look at my heart and see where are the areas that I need to change? Mm-hmm. Um, but God is not a God of shame. And let me just tell you, there are no perfect families. Do not believe Facebook. Do not believe everybody's happy painted face, you know, all ducks in a row. Nobody's life is perfect. And I heard somebody say once, compare Comparison is the thief of joy. And that is so true. Don't compare your brood. Don't compare your parenting style or the way your kids look or how they're turning out or what you do. Don't compare. That's the thief of joy. Your journey is your journey. Your family is your family. Enjoy them. They were made specifically and created on purpose as little individuals. Can I just say one thing about that? Um, We live in in a day and age, I think, that sometimes we... We don't like vanity. We don't like it when people are vain and prideful and all that. But sometimes our vanity is a latent issue in our families where we, we, we experience vanity through our children. You know, look at how amazing my children are. Look how beautiful they are. Look at this new outfit. Look, they made straight A's. They made honor roll. They made this. They made that. And we put that in Facebook, and it's always out there. And I th- I'm afraid that it might send a message to some of us that if our kids don't make honor roll and they're not making straight A's, that they have less value than other children do. And I just want to let you know that if that's your kids, it's okay. It's okay. We've got kids that go from honor roll to not. And it's just, it is what it is. Our kids are unique. They have different uh, needs. They have different struggles in their lives. And, um, and that's, don't, uh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> We've never talked to him. No, you. No, you. Um, that is that is a huge thing for me. Um, one of my most precious scriptures to my heart is Psalm 139. If you've ever heard me teach on parenting or anything else, you've probably heard me relay this story. Um, 
just about just really quickly, uh, before we were pregnant with Maya, our first pregnancy ended really quickly in a miscarriage. And that was devastating because my whole life I had wanted to be a mom. That's, that was my goal in life. That was my dream. And, um, so I was just completely devastated when that happened. And then we got pregnant not long after with Maya. And I just carried around this fear, uh, that it, it wasn't going to be that what if something else happened and what if I was going to lose this baby? And I'll never forget, um, I was visiting my sister in Canada, and I was having a nap on the couch, and in my dream, I dreamt that I did, in fact, lose the baby, and I, it was so real. You know, you have those dreams, and it feels like it really happened, and I woke up, and I remember I was sitting on the couch, and I was so sad because I thought, oh, again, I lost this baby, and I was so devastated. And just at that moment, my oldest sister, she came down the stairs, and she said, oh, I was upstairs. I was praying for you, and the Lord just gave me the scripture, Psalm 139, and at that time, I didn't have it memorized. I didn't know what it was. And um, she said, I just, I don't know why, but I uh, I had the scripture on my heart and I wanted to share it with you. And so if you've never heard the scripture, um, let this be a blessing to you. But this is, this is what we're talking about. We say these children are created individually. It says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You're all around me. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I'm going to skip down a little bit. Um, and he talks about, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are to me your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And that just touched my heart so much because it was the Lord saying, I created this child. And as you know, Maya was born and praise God for that. But I always reflect on that scripture when I think about our children because they're not just blobs. They didn't just happen. Every child... Your children, they were given to you by God. They were created. They were woven together intricately on purpose by God. The good things in your kids, that didn't come from you. That came from God. The quirky things in your kids, the things that bug you, that didn't come from you. That came from God. Each little person on this earth walking around and then your grown children, they were made by God specifically. And we were talking about how it was so precious to us when Maya was born. Sorry, my kids are in here. Sorry, guys. Um, when Maya was born, you know, when you have a baby, they come into the hospital and they towel them down. They start pricking to test for blood. They treat them a little bit like just a blob, like a science experiment. And um, she was our first child, of course. And I'll never forget that experience. And then we took her to her very first doctor's appointment when she was less than a week old, I think. And the doctor who examined her, funnily enough, his name was Dr. Nice. And I remember just sitting there watching and expecting him to, you know, like unbutton her onesie and start checking her with his cold stethoscope and um, pricking her and doing things to her and just treating her like a blob. But instead, I will never forget the respect and compassion that he showed this tiny, fragile, vulnerable human. He unbuttoned her so carefully. He warmed up his stethoscope first, and then he buttoned her back up when he was done. The way he checked her diaper, I mean, everything. And Chris and I were just in awe with the respect and the care that he showed this little life. And that was such a huge thing for us because it made us go, wow, this is, this is a person. This isn't just a blob. This isn't just an experiment. This is a precious, on-purpose child. Hmm. 
Um, I just wanted to say one more thing. Sorry. Did you have anything to add? You're doing great. Keep going. Um, Just really quick about what I said a minute ago about, you know, all the good things, that's from God. All the funny things, that's from God. I just want to encourage you as well. If you have a kid who doesn't fit the mold, who maybe walks to the beat of their own drum, who, mamas, you know this deep in your heart. If you have a kid who is maybe showing some signs that, you know what, they're not going to do things the same way as everybody else. Maybe they have some quirks. Maybe they have some signs that they're showing that they don't fit the mold that society has. I encourage you, you mamas, you know that deep in your heart. I encourage you, find out what that's, what's going on with that child. Pursue help if you need to. Everybody is so worried about our kids being labeled and, and having labels put on them. You know what? Forget what they say. You do what's right for your child, and you seek out the help that they need. We will always 100% support you in that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. 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 There, are, there is um, lingering mentality, and I say this with respect, uh, because I know there's some division on this uh, uh, with a lot of folks, but there's some lingering uh, ideas that uh, medication, psychological treatment is taboo. And I want to encourage you that uh, it has been scientifically demonstrated that sometimes behavior is related to physiology. And um, I don't think we need to negate that. I think we need to take that seriously. Um, there are times that I have, this may be an oversimplification to some people, but I don't think it is. If I have a headache, I take Tylenol or ibuprofen. Um, I don't know why we would not treat a child who might have behavioral problems um, or some sort of uh, chemical issues that need to be addressed. And I'm, I'm, I feel a little bit of fear saying that because I know that some people feel very strongly about this. But I, don't, I just want to throw it out there that if that's you, that if you're afraid, and I'm talking to the guys now, because a lot of us guys, our wives will often come. This is, this is a generalization here, but a lot of times our wives will come to us and say, hey, uh, I think we might need to have our child examined because they might have this special need. And usually men, are they flip out when they hear that. They can't even, they can't even listen to that conversation. I want to encourage you, brothers, be brave. Don't allow the ego of your family or you or whatever it is that would cause you to resist that to keep your child from getting the treatment and the examination that your child may need. Um, If you were sick or in the hospital and somebody told you you had cancer, you would say, connect to chemotherapy and don't stop until it's gone. You know, and I don't know why we wouldn't take seriously the treatment that some of our children need who are, uh, for no fault of theirs, born with certain deficiencies that, need, that they need help with. I just want to encourage you to at least have that conversation with your spouse if you've been closed-minded to that. Um, yeah. uh, just in the interest of... Is that okay? Was that yeah, all right? no, I, okay. amen right. to that. Um, just a couple of things that we wanted to share that have been a strength and kind of guideposts for our family. Uh, winging it. Don't wing it. If you're a parent, especially of little ones, don't wing it. You need to parent on purpose. That's one thing that we wanted to say this morning. Parenting on purpose with intentionality. Have a plan in place. You know, if you don't go in with goals and ideals and purposes in mind for your home, I think winging it or just 
taking it as it comes is going to lead to a lot of frustration for you, and it's going to lead to a lot of frustration for your mm-hmm. kids. I remember we had an older, wiser woman in the church once share, and her children were so well-behaved, and they were such good kids, and everyone respected them, and they're teenagers. And we said, what did you do? What was your secret? And she said, you know, before I had my kids, she said, I did not want people saying, oh, no, here come the so-and-sos. And I thought, oh, man. And every now and again, I'll ask myself that. Are people saying that about my children? Oh, no, here come the Bennetts. And so that's something that I always tuck away in the back of my mind, just something to keep in mind. You know, hiding toys because our kids might steal them or something like that. Yeah. Or break them um, or, you know, whatever. Um, also, something that's really important is consistency. No one is perfect. But if you have a child who is strong-willed, we have three <laughs> Who has strong-willed children in this house? Anybody? Anybody? Everybody? Man, if you have a child who is strong-willed, you've got to get on the same page. If you're blessed to have a spouse on this journey with you, y'all have to get on the same page, and you've got to be consistent. You know, it's no different than potty training, really. I mean, <laughs> um, I could think of a lot of ways to go there, but I just won't. Um, it's really no different than potty training. We have to potty train our kids. We have to, because we don't want them in diapers, Right? For all intents and purposes, they don't need to be in diapers until they're 15. And so we have to toilet train our kids. And it's not fun. But what do we do? We discipline ourselves. We make a plan. We monitor how much they're drinking. We take the time to put clothes, extra clothes in the bag everywhere we go. We check to make sure that they've gone to the bathroom every little bit. You know what? Teaching our kids values and character and disciplinary things, man, that is no different. We have to make a plan and we have to decide together that we're going to stick to it. Um, and when one of the children wants to sleep in our bed every single night, there's got to be somebody that's going to say no. And we're, we're working on that. Because, um, you know, it's our grandkid. So. He's, he's, yeah, it's our grandkid. It's not Levi. It's, it's, not, it's not one of our children. It's our grandkid. <laughs> Levi, you can't sleep with us anymore, okay? 14 is just too old. No um, <laughs> if you have a strong-willed child... <laughs> I love you, Levi. Hey, if you're you not only the strong knew what I went one. through with my dad, yeah. you would, yeah. Um, and let me just say, if you have a strong-willed child, first of all, God bless you. We feel your pain. Some are stronger than others. Holy moly, some are stronger than others. We have the child who at three years old, yes, the pastor's child who slugged the three-year-old nursery teacher. That was our child. Um, we also had the child, different child, who at four years old, trying to tell them no in Walmart, turned to flailing, kicking, and screaming, and then the limp body thing, you know, where they do rigor mortis, and you have to pick them up. And so this child was flailing, screaming, help, somebody help me, as we're dragging her out of Walmart. Yeah, that's good times. And everyone's looking like, are you abducting that people, child? People or? sometimes ask us why the, uh, the gap. You know, we have, you know, Maya, who is going to be 16 in about a week. Maya, where are you? Maya, She's where hiding, are you? actually, you under the Would you stand? Chair. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Maya's, Maya's going uh, to be 16, and then Levi just turned, uh, how are you again, sir? He's 14. 14, I forgot. So anyway. 14, and then uh, Claire, who is 11, and then Ooh. Mike is 4. And people said, you know what, why was that? Because it took about seven years for <laughs> the recover. swelling to go down. It, that's what took that long. Yeah, yeah it, it took us a long time to recover from that. But let me just say, kind don't of... Don't tell Claire I said that. Kind of being... Yeah, really don't tell Claire you said that. Kind of being on the other side of that, let me just encourage you, if you have little ones who are strong-willed, that is a God-given gift. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that our precious little one that is so stubborn and so strong-willed, that child will advocate for the oppressed. That child has the greatest heart of compassion for people. And you cannot tell her, 
what is wrong is right. I mean, that kid, she knows what she believes. She is not going to change her mind about anything. And I praise mm-hmm. God for that. I was not praising God for that when she was two or three years old, let me just tell you. But that we had to come to a point where we recognized that we don't need to beat that out of her. That is a God-given thing. She is strong, <laughs> although we wanted to. Um, but that's a, that's a God-given gift. And it's just up to us to plant the gospel in her and watch the Lord form that into Strong-willed children, typically, and we're, we're not parenting gurus, uh, really, but strong-willed children uh, are typically big-time feelers. They have huge emotions. And if you try to squelch that strong will just for the sake of behavioral change alone, you are going to be giving your child deep recesses of rage and anger. And that will contaminate your relationship maybe for the rest of your life. And so I just want to warn you, be careful. I know you feel like you're, you're trying to you know, uh, diffuse the time bomb at times. But um, I'm not saying be perfect. You won't be. But as I mentioned a few weeks ago when I started this series, feel your kids' feelings, know where they are, be with them. And when you have to, say you're sorry own your sin, own your mistakes as a parent, and make sure you hold them accountable as well. Hold them accountable to your family's values. And on, on that note, talking about values, maybe you're wondering what on earth should your values be? Maybe you're kind of wondering, oh, what, are, what, what do we stand for? What do we want to have as goals and values in our family? You know what? A really awesome resource is the Bible. <laughs> um, Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. What are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Don't those sound like good things that you want to see in your children? Man, you could write those words down, have them somewhere visible in your home. These are our values. This is what we stand Mm -hmm. for as a family. What about 1 Corinthians 13? Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not boast. You know what? Are Are we perfect at that? Children, are we perfect at that? No, my kids are like, look at Levi's face. Uh-uh. But you know what? That's okay because we have the gospel that covers us. But man, if you're looking to know where should we start, what should our goal be in parenting, fruit of the spirit and love. Those are great, great places we to start. We consider it a huge loss if our kids are on the principles list and they do not know how to be kind to one another. That's a huge loss for us. That's a huge loss. We want our kids to know mercy and kindness, we want them to look at each other in the eye, and, be, and when they're communicating with one another, it's unacceptable in our home that our children are mean to one another. Now, what happens? Sometimes we lose our cool. When I say we, mostly her. Um, I'm kidding. It's mostly me. But um, um, but I don't do what Robert does. You know what he talked about that one time. Anyway, um, but um, uh, but it's it's just to, to us, it's a huge loss. If our kids are on the principals list and they go to college and make a lot of money one day and they don't know how to feel compassion for others and empathize with others, that's just a huge loss for us. You know, uh, some, Chris and I took a parenting course before we had children and it was so beneficial for us. And I remember tucking away important things that we wanted to um, implement when we finally did have children. And one of them that has stuck with me all these years was building a mm. spiritual, moral warehouse for your kids. And what that means is don't be a no parent. Don't give your parents, I'm sorry, don't give your children empty no's. Don't just say no for the sake of saying no. Don't just tell them no because they're annoying you. Sometimes they do annoy you. I know this, trust me. But empty no's, just saying no for the sake of no, that has the potential to lead to bitterness, hard-heartedness, and rebellion. If you're going to give your child a no, if you're going to put boundaries around them, tell them why. 
Tell them why. Link it back to the values of love, joy, peace, patience. Kind of link it back to that. Give them the ability to know mom and dad aren't just being butts. Mom and dad are saying no because of this. Give them an inventory. Give them a warehouse that they can draw on. And we're not and talking about giving your kids power in a conversation so that they, you tolerate them being argumentative. We don't tolerate that either. But rather than just shutting them down, give them the reason why, what value informs why you're making that decision, and then let them know at some point that's appropriate, the conversation's over. We're not going to debate this. Um, something else, just a couple more quick things and then we'll be finished, but something that I actually heard Beth Morris say this years and years ago, and probably most of my mom friends have heard me say this at one time or another. She said, removing pain and heartache Mm. and hardship from our children's path, because as moms, me, that's my nature. I want life to be easy for my kids. I want life to always be good for my kids. I want them to be the ones that are well-liked by the teachers. I want them to be the ones that are invited to people's sleepovers. I want life to be good for my kids. But you know what? Sometimes life isn't fair, and sometimes life is hard. And when they grow up, they're going to have to learn how to deal with that. And so something that I heard Beth say years and years ago was removing hardship from our children's lives removes their need for a Savior. And you think about that for a minute. When life is hard, when life is sad, when life is unfair, I'm not going to be there to fix that for my kids. I want them to run to Jesus. I want them to take their hurt and their pain and their frustration to God. He's the one that can fix that for them. And so, if, if, if every day is Christmas at your house, they will never know what it's like to have poverty of spirit, and they will never draw near to the Master, Jesus, to save them. Yeah. We, uh, we're, uh, something we're really passionate about is that our kids, especially growing up in a pastor's home, that our relationship with God, that can't be our kids' relationship with God. Mm-hmm. We've got to give them the tools to know Jesus. We've got to bring them to church. We've got to make sure that they know how to read their Bible. There are things that we can do, but we cannot form their relationship with Christ. We can lead them to the foot of the cross, but you know what? At the end of the day, we've told our big kids this. We can give you a list of 20 rules and make sure you follow them to a T. But you know what? If your heart is far from God, you can obey the rules and check everything off the list. And you know what? What does that profit us? What does that profit them? Nothing. We got we to gotta get them to a place where they can mm-hmm. learn and accept Christ for themselves. Um, what about talk to your kids that part? I think yeah, that's really good. I, just a couple of points. Hey, I sat through a two-hour movie yesterday. Can y'all give us just a couple more minutes? I Literally think a couple minutes. Um, yeah. Talk to your kids. Robert touched on this last week. Man, as hard as it is, put your iPad down. Put your phone down. Put the remote down and have that face-to-face time with your kids. Make them put their devices down. This is a real practical thing. Maybe you don't need to know this. Maybe you do. We have really uh, somewhat strict guidelines for our kids and their screen time and their device time just because, A, it's probably not good for their brain to be on it constantly, but we want to have interactive time with our kids. You know, we have loved having our teenagers so far. I really sincerely Mm -hmm. mean that. You always hear people talk about the terrible twos and, oh, you just wait till they're teenagers. We love having our teenagers. Teenagers are awesome. And I think that is a fruit of talking to Mm -hmm. our kids. That started on purpose when they were small. We took the time to look them in the eye, to get down on their level, and to speak to them and to hear them. And I think that that has just continued to snowball into their teenage years. And I feel like we have a pretty open communication, open lines of Mm -hmm. communication, but that has to be something done with intention. That's Mm -hmm. not just going to happen. And your kids are not going to come and demand that from you. You have to lead in that way as a grown up. You have to be the one Mm -hmm. to set the the guidelines as far as that goes. Um, Should we skip down to here? Uh, 
Sure. Let me just say, too, um, if you feel like you've missed the boat, if you hear me saying that and you're like, well, mm. guess what? I have a teenager and we don't talk to each other and I didn't know this then and I'm too busy and I'm, you know, whatever. Grace to you. Grace to you. Remember what I read about how they're gods. God formed them. He wrote every one of the days of their life before one of them came to be. Their story is God's story. They are God's child. And so, you know what? Don't put so much pressure on yourself that you feel like I'm screwing my kids up. You know what? They are in God's hand. In the same way that Chris talked about, regardless of the outcome of this election, your child is in God's hand. Pray for them. Do what you can now to change things and walk in humility with your children. But you haven't missed the boat. They're gods. Mm -hmm. They're gods. Only we are all we are all broken. None of us are perfect families, and I I really mean that. and I, if I could just make a comment, you know, just because somebody's kids really act well doesn't mean they're amazing parents. Mm-hmm. And just because somebody's kids seem to misbehave more doesn't mean they're bad parents. And it certainly doesn't mean they need to whoop them more. That's not, what, that's not always what that means. We have very, very uh, hard judgments we render against parents at times. And, um, you know, we don't, again, we don't sit here as experts. Um, I, I feel a degree of Uh, some degree of shame, you know, and when I say shame, what I mean is not like a toxic shame, but a shame that helps me to see my own limitations and also helps me to cry out for help. And so this girl has been taking me to school on parenting uh, the entire time we've had kids. And uh, just the other day, for instance, I had an interaction with one of my children, one of my teenagers. And when I looked in my teenager's eyes, the way that I had handled a situation left that teenager with some hurt. And it, it was really hard to recognize that. It was hard to, it, to admit that because I realized that the reaction that this person was experiencing was the result of a behavior of mine over years that had led to a semi-hardening in that teenager's heart. And I'm trying to be very vague here because they're, they're sitting here and I want to do them honor. Um, but I had to repent to that teenager and make it right with that teenager. And um, I felt some hurt. I felt some guilt for what I did. Um, But I realized that there was just a behavior, just this latent behavior in my life that was harmful that I didn't realize was harming one of my teenagers. And uh, when I saw that look in his or her eyes, um, I recognized, man, this... I've got to change. I've got to repent of this. And so we don't sit here as experts or gurus. Man, we've made mistakes. We're going to make more mistakes. But these handles that we're trying to give today, we find that a lot of families today are oblivious to some of these things. And we don't say that in a way to shame you or or to criticize you. It's just we want you to have some of this stuff. This stuff has been really big for our families. And so remember, you are justified not by your good parenting. You are justified by your faith in Jesus. We are all going to make mess up as parents sometimes. This is not an indictment on who you are. But if you are struggling in some of these areas, don't be too greasy grace in the sense that, well, whatever, it's too late now. Start being intentional now. Start being intentional now. Um, Just really quickly, two last things, and then I think we're about done. But um, if you're wondering, we've had people ask us before, I don't know what to do with my kids. I don't know how to reach them spiritually. I don't know what to do. No one ever taught me what to do. A great resource and a fabulous starting place is the Jesus Storybook Bible. It is such a wonderful children's Bible. It's beautifully illustrated. It's beautifully colored. And it weaves the gospel, God's great redemptive plan, from the beginning all the way through the end. That's a great place to start. Also, a 
fabulous way to engage your children spiritually is to volunteer in Playhouse and in Clubhouse. We, you're going to see Robert and you're going to see Stacy and the other teachers show you how to teach your kids, how to talk to them about spiritual things, how to sing with them, etc. And so that's a great, great place to this start. This is not our crude way to try to get volunteering no, up in truth. our church. It's really not. A lot of us don't know what to do and to be around Robert who's really gifted at communicating the gospel, just to serve in there once a month, you can begin to pick up on some of the habits and some of the things that he does. And you could even reach out to some of us. Reach out to our family pastor and say, hey, can you coach me on how to do this? But like she said, the Jesus Storybook Bible is beautiful. Uh, man, it's, it's amazing. And to this day, I can read it and, like, and just be so inspired by it. And to sit down with your kids, no matter how old they are, take 10 minutes... And just read through that story and just say, hey, how did that make you feel? Rather than what do you think, how does that make you feel? And, and pray with your kids. Pray with your kids. If you're fumbling, you don't know what to do, you don't know how to talk to God, that's awesome. Show them that example. I'm telling you, God is not a respecter of persons. God's not waiting for you to pray a perfect prayer. And what better example than to show your children, guess what? This is what it looks like when a human who is broken talks to God. Give them that tool. Teach them how to talk to God. And pray for your kids. If you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling like you don't know what to do, if you're feeling anger towards your children, if you're starting to resent them and grow hard-hearted towards them, I encourage you, pray for them. The Holy Spirit will show you what to do. He will. He loves them. They're his children. He will show you what to do. And you know what else? When you pray for your children, God's going to turn your heart towards your child. God's going to give you new grace, new love, and new compassion for them. Um, Last, very last thing. I just want to you touch on this. I know, time. I know. Where do I get I do that it too. from? I, do mm. it too. Um, I just want to talk for just a quick second about sibling relationships. I think this is something that is really special in our family that we don't see necessarily in a lot of families. And our kids, they really love one another. And not only do they love one another, but I feel like they are learning to grow. They don't always like one another. I want to be clear about that, but they love one another. And we have had people ask us before, how do your kids all get along so well? I'll just tell you a couple practical things. Again, not the perfect parents, and it doesn't happen every time, but something that we have just always right from the get-go, we do not tolerate any kind of bullying or meanness or lashing out against one another. We don't tolerate that. Passive aggressive behavior. No. If they have issue with one another, if they're angry with one another, that's cool. That can be expressed, and they can work that out for sure. But we don't allow any kind of, like, physical violence towards one another or screaming at one another. You know, when I was talking about the values earlier earlier about love is patient, love is kind, um, goodness, meekness, gentleness, self-control, that's how we talk to our kids. You know, the golden rule is actually a scripture in Luke. Did you know that? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we tell our kids that from a very young age. And I say that to Micah often. Do you want me to speak to you like that? Do you want Sissy to not let you play with her toys? You know, that is a very practical thing with our kids. Respect one another, love one another, and honor one another. We correct our kids in front of each other. We praise our children and show value to them in front front of one another. And I think that that has helped to really build a love and respect for each other. One thing, if I could encourage everyone here and... um... I don't mean to make anybody uncomfortable because I know this is, this is hard for some people. But I just think we as parents need to be really brave in this area. I think you need to be an affection machine with your kids. I really do. Your kids need more than anything else from you kisses on their faces and big long hugs. Even they need that. teenagers. Even teenagers. Even teenagers, they need that from you. They need that when they're teenagers, they are being, they are experiencing an onslaught, an 
onslaught on their souls. I mean, uh, uh, sometimes verbal abuse at school. They don't even recognize it as verbal abuse because it's just par for the course. But they experience a lot of abuse. There is a lot of judgment that they're experiencing. They need to know that they are accepted and they are loved and they are treasured by you. They're treasured. I am far from being the perfect dad, but my kids never escape my big, wet, juicy kisses, ever. And they love it. I mean, you ask them, they love those things. But uh, don't you, son? Don't you, Maya? Uh, But uh, I'm telling you, they need to feel, they need to feel your fierce love for them. They need to feel it. They don't need to just hear it. They need to feel it from you. And I don't say that to make anybody feel uncomfortable. If, you're, if affection's hard for you, I know some of us come from families where no, we were never told we were loved. We were never hugged by our dad or by our mom. We were never given affection. And so for some reason, we've been shaped in a way where it's hard for us to give it. But I want to encourage everyone here, take the noble path of affection with your children. Yeah. Take that path and don't ever deviate from it. Don't ever do it. You are giving your kids a gift that they will never ever, ever forget. I, I read something on Facebook yesterday. One of the pastor friends in Chris's cohort, um, they have adult children. They're a few years beyond us, and they have had some really hard times with one of their adult children. And the child, who's a grown woman now, posted this on Facebook yesterday, and it so touched me. I wanted to share it with you today. She said, yesterday I went to my parents' house to talk to them about some things. I'm one of the lucky ones. Though there have been hard and painful years, The last couple have brought me a sweet and precious closeness with them. As I sat in front of them and tried to find the words to explain myself, I suddenly realized I didn't have to. They were already in my corner without any hesitation. It was was one of the most grace-filled experience of my life. They smiled with me. They cried with me. They listened to me and affirmed me at a time I feared they would reject or judge me. I am so deeply, humbly grateful to have come from these two humans Brave, kind, bold, honest, loyal, generous, and true. And I think about many times when it comes to our children, and I think about discipline and punishment and what do I need to do with this one, I think back to the gospel. And I think about what God has done for me and how much God loves me. And if you're ever in a place where you don't know how to deal with your child, you don't know how to discipline them, you don't know how to raise them, you think back to God's great love for you and his never-ending mercy and his grace. You think about the story of the prodigal son and how even when that wayward one left, how the father, who is a type of God, stood there waiting and watching. And when that son came back, he threw his arms around him and he loved him and he celebrated him. And that's how we need to approach our parenting in a gospel-centered way. Yeah. It's not, um, it's less about behavior modification and it is more about redirecting their souls to Jesus. Um, every day, if you're parent, biblical parenting, I believe, is missional parenting. Uh, God gave us the stewardship of our children, and every single day we are giving our children back to Jesus. That's not a cliche, it's true. Every single day we're redirecting their hearts back to the King. And uh, so it's got to be less about behavior modification, and it's got to be about something deeper in their hearts. Um, thank you for helping. How'd she do today? Okay. Anybody want her to be the lead pastor now? Go ahead, Barbara. You can clap. You can, I saw that. I saw that. Uh, um, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my wife and my children. And I thank you for these families that make up our family, our spiritual family. 
I pray, Jesus, that uh, if anyone is feeling shame, if anyone is feeling bad, pain, I pray that you would remind us all that we are in your grace, that you love us even when we've been poor parents. You love us and you treasure us. And there's always redemption, always. I pray, Jesus, that as we come to the Lord's table this morning, your table, that our lives would reflect Jesus' broken body and poured out blood. That we would remember that we're a family because of his sacrifice. And I pray, Jesus, that we as families, we as families would turn to one another and we would be poured out. We would be broken and given to one another. In Jesus' name, it's all for your glory, Lord. Amen.